Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm David Jenkins. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Charles Bromesco. And we are here all in the same room. For once at the uh, 2022 Cannes Film Festival 75th edition and this week we're going to uh, scrape aside our usual rotation of uh, weekly cinema releases for the UK and we're actually going to focus just because we have been um, at the vanguard of art cinema uh, uh, on, at the Cannes Film Festival we're going to um, talk a little bit about some of the films we've been seeing because there's a lot of big names and a lot of great movies and some a few not-so-great movies. Uh, and yeah, we want to give you a little uh, panorama of, of the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, um, Charles, Hannah, I've been, I've been here all morning. I've been writing a review, of, just to give a bit of colour to the listener, I've been writing my review of the new Claire Denis film, which we saw last night, and we'll uh, get onto that a little bit later. Uh, but you guys were up and out very early doors this morning to see... Elvis. <laughs> was that, was... that was my Elvis. That was your Elvis impression. Oh, Elvis. <laughs> yeah, both, both solid. Both solid. And you can see why neither of us were cast in the film. <laughs> um, and so and, and so the thing about Elvis is I, I was not present at this screening... Um, it's been the kind of, it's been the topic of conversation among many press and critics here because it's a, been a tough one to get a ticket for. They didn't, they didn't necessarily give a, give it a big space and a, a lot, many tickets to it. So how did you guys get in? <laughs> Through sheer force of will. Um, no, yeah, every year they've got a couple really, really large American studio films that are set to come out within the next month or two and i guess this and uh top gun 2 were the really big ones this year and so i guess there's high demand yeah i think top gun actually did have one more screening because they did it in the imax as well as um the lumia and the agnes vada uh screens here but top uh top gun was out this week i think in mm. the uk and the us and france uh elvis i'm pretty sure there's another it was a few weeks ago i think we might end up doing it in a few weeks on the podcast um, you can't have too much Elvis. Well, 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 I don't know about that. <laughs> Which is an idea that the film itself really puts to the test. <laughs> yeah, no, I booked my ticket when it became available and then had to listen to everyone for three days saying, oh my God, why can't I book a ticket to Elvis? I was one of those people and I, through really just sheer luck, uh, 
manage to find one. They, they keep releasing new tickets in the middle of the afternoon without telling anyone. So you just go randomly check and then suddenly you relay to all of your friends that, oh, look, there are more tickets. So you both got in and uh, was the atmosphere electric? Was it like going to see Elvis in in uh, the 50s? Uh, were, were they Charles, teams? as someone who was there in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, as, uh, You're American, as an 87-year-old American man, uh, I, I would say that this was like if everyone going to see Elvis in Las Vegas was very, very sleepy and tired and, and a bit um, shiny with sweat. Right. Which is, I mean, not totally <laughs> dislike. Yeah, yeah, not totally dislike the concerts. So this is a Baz Luhrmann film, very much so. And uh, yeah, could you t- could you could you give us your uh, description of of what it is and how it works? Does it is it a, is it the is it the Baz Luhrmannized bio, biopic of uh, of Elvis? Well, I think the second it all started to go downhill was when the Warner Brothers logo came on screen and it was like rhinestones. The first thing that happens. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the first thing that no, happens. No I, I was sat next to Charles and our esteemed colleagues and friends, uh, Juan and Mark, and um, that was the first oh no moment of many oh no moments <laughs> during the film. Um, you know, this has been like in the works for so long. I think it um, was always going to be an uphill struggle for Baz Luhrmann to make a movie that didn't suck. And, um, uh, you know, I, I I will say this, I was not bored, um, but I did check my watch about five times because it's two hours 40 and you feel every uh, every minute of that. It's, uh, it's a lot going on, <laughs> a lot going on indeed. And, and yet for um, such a long film, it, it doesn't even cover really everything in his life. It, uh, it definitely hits all of, you know, the formative beats about him being a young kid and being enraptured by black music like blues and R&B, uh, rhythm and blues and, and gospel, that is uh, my mistake. And it goes through that, goes through his meteoric ascent to fame, goes through his, you know, decline. And yet uh, I do feel like there's a lot we don't see. We get maybe 90 seconds of him in Hollywood. Uh, we do not see him shit himself to death on the toilet, which is a bit of a disappointment. Uh, really what I came for. Um, but no, I, I, it is uh, quite a lively film, although it, it calms down as it goes. The first 20 minutes are, are, I think, designed to make you seasick. You're whooshing all through Las Vegas. Things are turning upside down. Things are bursting into flame. There's cgi bejeweled kaleidoscopic nonsense it's a it, it is a, a feast for the senses where you eat so much you you want to puke and because i've seen it described as like a, a kind of almost three hour montage where you, you you don't necessarily is there a is there a dramatic arc to it is there something that is kind of is there a tension yeah. there that, that, that is keeping you so engaged? The, the skeleton of the film is the relationship between Elvis and his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, portrayed by a nigh-on unrecognizable Tom Hanks befitted with a uh, fat suit, big fake prosthetic he looks like nose. The he looks like if the penguin had grown up in the rural Kentucky neighborhood of Holland, right. uh, <laughs> which is... An interesting combination of choices for an actor. Um, but yeah, I, I, so the whole idea that this is nonstop continuous montage, I'd say is only true for the first half hour. And then it starts to divide itself up into more legible scenes. Um, and yeah, and, and, and whatever structure the film does have, which is to say that it is not indebted to the three-act structure that makes a movie feel like it is moving along. It just mm. plods and plods and plods. Uh, but yeah, it's all about, you know, <clears throat> this manager 
who was a sort of Svengali type to Elvis and worked him like a dog and tried to take as much of his money as he possibly could. Uh, but then always he had this very strange ability to convince him that they were best friends and that he had nothing but his best interests at heart. Interesting. A success for you, Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, I I now have um, given up, I think, on Baz Luhrmann. I've been workshopping a um, a sort of uh, nickname for this film, and I've decided it is going to be Glamadeus. You heard it here first. If anyone steals that, uh, I will see them in court. (laughs) So is that to say that Colonel Tom is his Salieri? Yeah, absolutely. The whole film is about is uh, the framing device is this deathbed confession, basically. And um, I have a lot of questions about the way the film ends and how Baz chooses to frame what killed Elvis Presley. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get the sense throughout the film um, that this guy was fucking horrendous, whether or not that was Baz Luhrmann's intention or not. I do think that uh, Austin Butler is is pretty decent as Elvis. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a thankless role, I think, because ultimately no one is ever going to be able to portray that level of charisma and talent on screen. It's the same with anyone of that kind of caliber. But I think he works with what he's got. And um, there is, yeah, there, there are some kind of... Um, fun moments <laughs> there are a lot of questionable choices um the way it frames like the death of martin luther king and um bobby kennedy but not john f kennedy for some reason um is very very strange and it doesn't really get into a lot of the kind of more contentious elements of elvis's life anyway we'll get back into elvis in a few weeks yeah. so yeah there's plenty just a, of time a little a little this taste is just a little taste taste test of uh, of, of, of elvis uh, so anna we're gonna. What we're gonna do for this for this episode is it's gonna be uh, no scores because these are like first look re- little taster reviews. Um, but we're gonna go back and forth and each pick a movie and have and just talk about it for a bit and why we liked it, why we didn't like it, or and comments from the from the gang. So Hannah is gonna kick things off. And would you like to introduce your first film? Yeah, uh, the first film I have chosen is uh, James Gray's Armageddon Time, which is playing in competition and is the semi-fictionalised account of his childhood growing up in New York during the 1980s, uh, which I was excited to see. I I like James Gray and I'm a big fan of Jeremy Strong, who was playing his father in the film. and kind of went in not realizing that this is basically a film about him processing his grandfather's death, um, which hit me kind of like an emotional freight train and uh, was a very tough watch. Um, but I, yeah, I really liked it. It's kind of, I think it's been pretty divisive. It's had some kind of glowing reviews, but some people have issues with it, which is, you know, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. It, it was. It's one of those films that it's kind of strange that it was. What I think it was like the first or second competition film to to play in the festival, like over a week ago now, um, and it feels like a like years, decades ago <laughs> that it happened. Like I, I, I'm, I'm always sort of having trouble remembering it, but not not to say that I didn't enjoy it as a, a movie, but it's. I think it's very strange seeing these films in the in the festival cycle. Well, yeah, you're not meant to watch 30 films in a week, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. Um, 
I think I've kind of benefited from taking it maybe a little bit easier this year because um, there hasn't the ticket system meant I missed out on some things I wanted to see and generally I think there's been a lot of things that I've skipped because I've the word on the street is that it's not very good um but this was one that you know I, I maybe did benefit from being one of the first films I saw but yeah I mean I'm always kind of a sucker for a filmmaker processing their own trauma and it's something actually we've seen a lot at the festival there's a lot of filmmakers kind of um reaching back to their childhoods or early marriages or you know processing things that have happened to them maybe it's to do with covid and this kind of urge to reevaluate your life in light of that but um no i was very impressed with this um the main kid in it who plays the fictional version of uh, james gray is incredible there've been some really strong child performances at Cannes, which is not always the case but yeah i thought he was great and I think it's, yeah, it's just a, a very raw film about growing up and realizing that the world is never going to be the place you want it to be, no matter how hard you try. And <laughs> that's a very depressing thing to realize. But um, yeah, I, I just, I really appreciate how James Gray's films feel extremely personal and um, somehow open up into this, you know, kind of thing that I personally relate very much to and yeah big fan and i think maybe one of my favorite film titles of the festival as well nice and that's that's named after (laughs) yeah i had to tell everyone this uh it is named after the song armageddon time which is a reggae song that was um popularized by the clash who re-recorded it and plays in the film and um, I think it has multiple meanings uh, within the film itself. But yeah, um, great song. Definitely one of the best needle drops of the festival. Cool. Okay, let's move on. Charles, give us your choice, which I understand is a little bit different from plush, luxuriant, multi-billion dollar Hollywood yeah. uh, by uh, autobiog. Somewhat, somewhat, somewhat different. Uh, the film, really one of my favorites, along with Armageddon Time, actually, is a, it's a motion picture documentary called De Corporis Humani Fabrica, Latin for uh, the fabric of the human body. Uh, this is a project that comes from what is called the Harvard Sensory Ethnography Lab, which is a documentary filmmaking program at Harvard in the States. Uh, and these two directors, uh, Verena Paravel and Lucien Castang-Taylor, uh, they make these almost avant-garde, very, very textural uh, documentaries they made one called Leviathan about deep sea fishing, where you get all these sloshy shots of fish guts in a, in a ship. And this one is set in a number of hospitals around Paris. And it's all about surgery and, and the goings on at hospitals. Uh, and so it is visceral in the most literal sense in that we are constantly looking at viscera. Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll throw you in the way the film throws you in, which is that one of the first things we see is surgery being conducted on an eyeball. Uh, you see a very small, I guess, yeah, like a micro scalpel, I don't know what I would call it, uh, jammed right into the nice juicy center part of the eye, and it's sucking little wraith-looking things out of the eyeball, and then it's polishing up the eyeball in a very uh, very intense way. You see uh, there are these sort of Ludovico-looking metal contraptions keeping the eyelids open, and the person keeps trying to blink when they can't. Uh, it is not all that frightening and intense uh although there are some rather unspeakable things done to a urethra 
Um, <laughs> but just in terms of, you know, once they're actually inside the body itself in, you know, um, intestines, they go through a small intestine. It, it looks like you're in an alien world. I, I've seen things that I've never seen before anywhere in any sort of film. And that's uh, that's really why I go to film festivals. So a friend of mine, this is how he thinks of it. He, he begins every film festival with the hope that he will see something that he's never seen before. And that is absolutely how I felt about this film. I had the, the, the pleasure of seeing next to you during the screening. And <laughs> let me add that one of the things that they do in this film, <laughs> which is really quite a kind of showman element um, that, that, that almost feels there, like there is a, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a straight laced film, but then actually I think that there may be a little bit of humor in the way that they can like edit and conduct these things where you start off a shot looking at something that you've got that looks very abstract. You yeah. don't know where you are in the human body and it will kind of put the camera, this kind of endoscopic camera that they've kind of produced. They develop, develop themselves actually, yeah. which is pretty incredible. And then they, and it kind of is pulled through a, a part of the gut or, part, or some artery or something. And then all of a sudden it'll, it'll kind of get to a point where you'll suddenly see where you are and it will be like, an eyeball or a penis or something. <laughs> and, and, and Charles is uh, slack-jawed. My reactions <laughs> were, were immediate and powerful, yeah. which is, I, I think, always a good sign from the cinema. Um, yeah, you get you get these really incredible combinations where you have these close-ups that are so extreme, they're almost just pure texture. It is a very slimy, wondrously slimy movie. But at the same time, we hear the chatter of the surgeons who are, who are working on there. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is they're doing an operation um, and one of the surgeons wants a fluid to be drained from, I believe uh, they're working on someone's prostate mm. and the drainage tubes, the hospital is underfunded and understaffed. And so they've only got one and then a rather clumsy assistant drops it and they can't <laughs> use it. And the surgeon, you know, he bursts into an angry fit. Um, and so, yeah, as much as this is, you know, a fantastic journey to the center of the body, it's also very much about uh, the medical industry in, in France. And you can extrapolate that to the country of your choosing. Um, one of my favorite shots in the whole thing, we see uh, the way in the hospital that mail is delivered, which is through a pneumatic series of tubes, kind of befitting yeah, the subject <laughs> of the film. And we get this incredible shot where they mount a camera on one of these capsules sent through the tubes, and we just go shooting at like rocket speeds through this. And it's just, it's pure motion. It's pure kinetics. I, I, I was amazed. It is like something from... 2001 or Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, like, yeah. You know. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that uh, if I was the entertaining type, you put this on in the background at a house party, and your guests will be uh, enraptured. <laughs> That's my kind of party. That's my that. Those are my homemaking tips okay. for entertaining guests. Excellent. Yeah, I, I was I too was a big fan of that one. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, okay, so we're going to move on and I'm going to now pick a film. Um, one that we promised last week that we would discuss, and that is David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, his second film with that title. His second and best, I would probably hazard, because the first one wasn't great. <laughs> the first one was very early in his career. Yes. Yeah. So this is like, um, yeah, t- top and tail end versions of Crime of the Future. It's a, it's a different film. Uh, it's, I think um, with this film, people approached it with a certain level of expectation that it was going to be uh, a kind of big, juicy genre film. Uh, you can say my name. I, I, I expected <laughs> that. And uh, no, no, I, I think you, you, you and me, me both, actually. Um, and I think within, within sort of half an hour, it's kind of evident that <laughs> Dave, David Cronenberg is not playing your game and uh, he's playing his, his very uh, unique individual game. Um, and yeah, the film is about a future in which human evolution has reached a point where people are suddenly developing new organs, uh, new ways of adapting to the environment. Um, a small child is seen in the first scene eating a plastic bin because it transpires he's developed the internal organs to be able to, um, digest and take nourishment from plastic which Cronenberg uh, sees as the, as, uh, you know, so posits as a, a, a something that's going to happen in the future. We should, you should add as well, people can't feel pain in this future. Yes. In addition to that. So, so <laughs> what we, he, he's a sense, it's, it's a kind of piece of speculative fiction where you have all these rules that he lays out in the, in the first half an hour of how humanity exists now. And he, he's essentially giving this, um, block quite random block of time in which the key characters played by uh, Viggo Mortensen and Lea Seydoux, uh, who are the who are a pair of uh, neo future performance artists. Um, Viggo, one of the um, one of the side effects of his new ability to develop new um, organs is that he gets very cold, so he walks around the entire film in. I want to call it a slanket. A snuggie. It's got, with a, with a cowl too, though. Yeah. It covers almost everything. Yeah. Equal like, parts burka and, and snuggie. Yeah. He yeah. Like, he, he, he's, and, he, and he's sort of tucked up for a lot of the film. <laughs> I didn't, I missed that he gets cold and that's why he's wearing it. I thought it was like a sartorial fashion statement. No, he, me- he mentions that he gets cold. Oh. Like, so, um, <laughs> I missed that completely. <laughs> so, so, and uh, I guess the, 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 at the beginning of the film, it's, it's, it shows that um, Sedo and, uh, and Watson are doing these like um, performance art pieces uh, where they essentially kind of dissect one another or cut like cut one another there's lots of knife play and um the suggestion is that in the in this future 
very Cronenbergian, like harking back to things like Crash, is that, you know, people get sexual kicks from being stabbed with knives and being <laughs> cut with cut with scalpels. And, it's all just penetration. And yeah, it's 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 penetration <laughs> of, a, of a different form. Um, my my take on this film is I was completely disarmed by it, and it's doesn't it, it pulls no punches, and it doesn't necessarily give you any um, uh, any instant gratification. It's very kind of intellectual, intellectually rigorous, and playful and provocative. Um, it's more talky than the tra- the initial trailers might have expected. It's very kind of there's a lot of discourse in it, and often <laughs> the discourse is very funny and ironic, and but I think couched in quite a lot of seriousness. Um, and, Kate Stu action and Kate Stu's in it. Uh, she's wonderful. She's uh, there. She she's doing present a, 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 a very uh, interesting kind of jittery performance as someone who is enthralled to. Vigo's uh, um, artist who uh, one, one other thing to add is that because of his abilities he is invited to be a, a part of a inner beauty pageant <laughs> which unfortunately we never see but um, yeah that was a big cold cock tease from Cronenberg <laughs> I thought the the boys section was part of that no I don't think ah, so okay um I'll, Hannah, I'm going to give you like a minute to respond on this because I know that you weren't as hot on this as, as uh, some other people. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll, whenever it gets a UK release, we'll we'll get into it properly. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think a good version of this film exists. I just don't think it's the one that we watched. Um, <sighs> terrible CGI uh, slash practical effects, which is not something I would expect from Cronenberg. Um he said on the red carpet he'd had this script for 20 years and it really feels like it because some of the stuff in this film, I just, I was talking to a friend about this last night at dinner and the thing is, I think that medical advancement um, as relayed to me via you and Charles talking about um, the corpari humani fabrica um, has actually moved past the point that Cronenberg's film is at. So I think that he needed to kind of maybe push it further. Um, and it ends at a very strange point. I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but I, the point at which it ended is where I think I was expecting the kind of, you know, down the rabbit hole third act, which we don't really get. It just felt like the money ran out. Um, but, you know, I'm more than willing to give him a pass. Um, there is another one in the pipeline. And with Cronenberg, it's always like, okay, well, you know, if this wasn't for you, there's another one out there. So... You know, I'm not mad at him or anything, which I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear. Right, let's jump very swiftly <laughs> onto your next choice, Hannah, which is one of probably one of the most high-profile and uh, films that people, the press, certainly most excited about seeing. Uh, which is uh, this is Park Chan Wook's uh, long-awaited return to filmmaking decision to leave. Um, it's been a while, you know, a hot minute. I think The Handmaiden was his last one. He did a TV. Well, yeah, yeah, that doesn't count as TV. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think it's difficult because I thought he did the little jump. Yeah, it's very good. It is, is yeah, excellent. it's very good. Good, uh, good Shannon action in that, um, and right. good Florence Pugh action. No, it is, it is good, um, but it isn't a film. And uh, yeah, I was very excited. Um, all going, all the only thing we knew going in was murder, mystery, romance, uh, and well, boy, howdy, does it deliver on that promise? I loved this film um i know that i maybe am not in the majority i think there was a lot of kind of 
dissenting opinions. Uh, a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's not, you know, it's not his best work." Um, but yeah, I so it's the story of this police detective, and he is dispatched to investigate the apparent um, accidental death of this businessman, and he becomes acquainted with his uh, widow, who is a very charming, very uh, cold. Stop effortlessly stylish. Um, she works in a care home, was like a, a, a home help nurse, and it's the story of their kind of romantic entanglement. And yeah, very in the mood for love, a little bit of vertigo, all, all, all my faves. Uh, I think that Tang Wei, who plays Sio Ray, um, who is the female lead, is remarkable and is my pick for best actress at the festival. No, you know what? It's a, I, 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 as a response to someone who was a little bit cooler on it, I must say I have had quite a few interesting conversations. It's one of the films I've talked about with people the most because it's one. It's got this very, very in very kind of Park Chan Wook style, but very sort of uh, labyrinthine plot that, that 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 develops over these these various acts, and and there's almost a kind of repetition to some of it as well where he's going through these diff- different motions and, see- and seeing like variations on it and I'm still a bit baffled as to some of the stuff that happened but but I'm intrigued enough to want to discuss what the whys um it's it's quite a it's it, for, for this kind of murder mystery film he leaves it he leaves things quite open oh yeah it's very ambiguous and um there's a lot of like very clever use of uh, mobile phones, which is not something I'm often able to say about technology on film. Some like gorgeous camera work where you're kind of inside the phone or you're inside this corpse looking at ants kind of crawling over eyes. And um, he at Park brings a lot of his kind of regular team back. But um, his the cinematographer on this one is actually someone I'd never heard of um, who's called Kim Ji Yong, who I believe is quite a big deal in Korea. But this is their uh, most high profile project. And it is like, I mean, even the people that don't like the film, I think would be hard pressed to not say how stunning it looks. It's incredibly beautiful. It's a stylish package. Lots of contrast between the ocean and the mountains, which is a kind of through line throughout the film. And yeah, I cannot wait to see this again. And rare for the UK, it's one that actually will definitely be coming out because uh, Mubi have got this uh, worldwide, I believe. I think it's their kind it's their, of... It's their biggest US release, yeah. Their big coup. Um, big coup of the festival. Uh, but yeah, no, I am I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to talk to people about it. I think it's yeah, just such a beautiful, sad, strange film. And yeah, I will... We'll, I, it feels like I'm, you know, walking... I'm wearing a Benedetta t-shirt or recording this as well. And it's a little bit embarrassing at this point, but I can't help it. Like maybe just keep doing bangers. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's my big recommendation at the festival. Excellent. Charles, um, both of your selections have been taken from this year's director's fortnight. Yeah. yeah um, that's kind of been a running theme with what I've seen this year. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, at Cannes, you know, the biggest uh, movies are put into the competition section. That is where they give the awards and then sort of lower profile films are put in sidebar sections such as the director's fortnight or critics week or uh, un certain regard. Uh, and this year I've really, I've enjoyed, uh, things that I have seen in the director's fortnight almost more than a competition, which is very unusual. And one of those films is a lovely Portuguese picture, uh, called Fogo Fatuo, uh, the English language title being Will o' the Wisp, uh, which is a tree that figures prominently 
into the film and yet not so prominent uh, as as penises, which are really the entree here. Um, <clears throat> 67 minutes, which is a real virtue in the mental crunch of the film festival environment. Uh, it is a quasi-pornographic uh, musical comedy about a fancy little nobleman who decides he wants to get a taste of the real world. And uh, he sees a news report about a uh, spike in forest fire, so he decides... Why not go and be uh, a fireman? Which is really, um, I didn't realize this until seeing the film, very inherently gay job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're surrounded by uh, shirtless men with rippling muscular physiques all day long. Did you not see Titan? <laughs> this, I mean, <laughs> these firefighters are far, far gayer than Titan. Um, for, for instance, I mean, so obviously there are, are breaks with reality here uh, when, when our little brace-faced protagonist comes to the, uh, whose name is Alfredo, uh, comes to the firehouse. Uh, His initiation is he is quizzed on works of classical art that are enacted by men in either jock straps or just full frontal nudity. Uh, Quizzed about, you know, Caravaggio, uh, all all the uh, the faves. Uh, And so the sense of humor, yeah, like that is very erudite, very arch, but at the same time deeply vulgar in a a very sporting way, which I, uh, I enjoy. And and um, do you think it's the kind of film that's probably going to be picked up? Uh, it's going to be shown widely, <laughs> um, it, or is this one of those films that you kind of you think people are going to have to look out for on the festival trail? Well, uh, so the director, whose name is Joao Pedro Rodriguez, already has, I think, uh, quite a presence in the world of queer cinema. He made a very uh, well-regarded film called The Ornithologist, Ornithologico, uh, not too long ago, 2018, I think. Um, and so the people who will be most, uh, you know, primed to enjoy this, I think, will be aware of it and will be able to seek it out. Uh, but my hope is that, you know, in our streaming besotted world that it can find a a loving home on the internet where people will be able to enjoy it to the fullest extent which might be illegal in the confines of a movie theater right (laughs) uh i don't think hannah and i haven't seen this one Oh, I know. However, I have seen The Jaunty Little Man because at karaoke last night he turned up and did a song. So, <gasps> what did he perform? <laughs> I can't remember. Oh God! <laughs> it was a duet with with his lady friend. Um, it, I can't remember. Yeah, it totally slipped my mind. But it was it, we. I was sort of stood, you know, watching and. Um, my friend turned to me and said, oh my God, that's the guy from uh, the gay firefighter movie. And I was like, oh, um, yeah. The way he was introducing me was, oh yeah, he gets cum in his beard. <laughs> he does. There, there's there's uh, plenty of cum to go around. Uh, it's not a European film festival unless you can utter that sentence at least once. <laughs> well. I think there's there's quite a nice segue to to, to be had uh, from that. Not a, not a cumless picture, the no. one we're about to discuss. Uh, in uh, so we are moving to a new film by the maestro Claire Denis, um, a long-awaited adaptation of uh, the 1986 Denny Johnson novel The Stars at Noon, which uh, is her second film released this year. Um, the first arrived in. February when it came out Berlin I believe it's right at Berlin uh, called in the UK it's called Fire and in the US it's called Both Sides of the Blade which was a kind of point of contention for Madame Denise she did not want it to be released as Fire no I think it might be going back to Fire uh, sorry going back to Both Sides of the Blade well, I think because she got her way in the US so I think she oh, might yeah. get her way here yeah it seems, it seems strange that it would be released with different titles in English speaking mm. territories but we'll see but this film is definitely going to be released as The Stars at Noon. 
Um, <laughs> and it's her an English language film, she, which she has done a couple of times. She did Trouble Every Day, which was half in English. And she did High Life 2, which was a sci-fi film, which was fully in English. And now this is her kind of, I guess, again, doing... She sort of goes back and forth between these very small-scale, intense character studies, which both sides of the blade is, to, to these slightly bigger, more lavish projects, which are kind of... It seems that, like, the amount of money she can get for these bigger, lavish projects is limited. Yeah. So, so she's essentially kind of... With these projects, she's doing making the best, plushest film she can with the resources available. The novel was uh, would be a period piece if adapted totally faithfully. Yeah, so um, from having read the novel a few years ago, the sense that I got was that you know to make this is this is the kind of book that I was surprised hadn't been adapted in like the eighties and nineties by some kind of you know an Oliver Stone or someone like that. Um, with, with loads and loads of money, loads of production design, big big sets, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And um, what what Claire Denis done with her adaptation is like stripped it to its very core. Um, it's a very uh, where the book is quite kind of atmospheric and and dense and very sort of pop, you know populated. It's set in Nicaragua in the eighties. She has made a version that's very spare um uh, almost yeah very very sort of artistically spare and um atmospherically quite kind of neutered but you know although this isn't one of her character studies it's really it's boiled down to the main relationship between the two leads i think yes yeah so you have uh the two leads played by margaret qualley and joe alwyn uh the former being a kind of sex pot uh <laughs> press attache who is kind of trying her luck as a, as a journalist and failing, but with the kind of political heat, she knows that her time in in in, in time there is, is limited and she's going to need to kind of get her papers in order and get out until she meets uh, Joe Alwyn's Daniel De Haven at a, at a bar, who is a very English, almost kind of um, Graham Greene-esque uh, <laughs> Uh, character is a businessman who works for an oil cons- company whose presence there is kind of mysterious and they fall fall together and they have a very kind of passionate torrid love affair and uh it's a, it, it, it in its essence it's about like the pair trying to escape the country together with various parties tr- uh, coming com- coming to prevent that um it's I, I think it's a it's a strange film for me it's it's Maybe not one of her, it doesn't rank in her as one of her like most in her sort of top vintage. Um, it's it it's a, it's almost like a genre film that lacks any of the sort of expectations and elements that you would require from from genre. Like there are no shootouts. There are no there, yeah, yeah stuff. There, there there are some deaths in it, but it's all it's all done in a very kind of quiet, hushed way, and um, it. it it's a film that feels like it should be very tense. The book is 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 extremely tense when, especially in the, in its second half, where you're kind of wondering will 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 or won't it, you know it's, it, will this romance survive? And you, you you kind of don't know. This almost kind of lurches towards something of an inevitable conclusion. I don't think Denny necessarily works her 
her best hit uh, in the English language. Oh no, I mean, I love High Life was amazing. So, but I, I have some thoughts about this, and that I think the score feel, or I'm sorry, <laughs> the script uh, feels a bit out of place because whereas High Life was sort of you know it was, we were up in space, kind of engaging in fantasy surreality. This is more grounded in realism, and I think the camera work reflects that, but the script, which is quite stylized and sort of idiomatic, um, you said almost a bit hard-boiled, I think does not totally jibe with Mm -hmm. that. My my other criticism is I think that um, while Quali and Joe Alwyn, they they kind of give it all they've got, but they just just don't feel right in these roles. They feel too young. I mean, in the, the... they feel like kind of twenty-something backpackers who have, who have met on a, on a kind of you know a, a romance, and it, the film actually works on that level. I think as a, as a, just as shorn of all the kind of political context, it works as a as a kind of really tactile, ticked sort of twenty-something romance, but maybe doesn't work beyond that. Just the, the you know Joe Alwyn as 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 a. <laughs> As part of an oil conglomerate. Well, so that was not her first choice. Yes. Right, right. She Pat, wanted to our, work with our Pats was uh, Patman. The Patman, yeah. But you had to go Pat. be Patman. Yes. That's why you <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know, I'm stuttering a bit because it's obviously a sad moment for me to to not say how much I loved a new Claire Denis film, but I'm going to have to be honest on this one and say it was it was a bit a bit mid for for, for me, but. That said, I'm still definitely in keen to see it again and sort of search for more of her kind of interesting idiosyncrasies in there. Just before we go, can I put you on the spot and maybe just like do a, let's give a one sentence random, because I've got a few little random things that I love that I want to give a shout out to. So if there's anything like small and random that you'd like to give a shout out to uh, as a kind of like a title for people to... To take notice of. To look out for. Um, there was a Korean spy picture uh, called Hunt. I don't think that was discussed in the previous podcast. Uh, very lengthy, hilariously violent. Just like <laughs> 25 people getting blown away with squid packs. It feels like every scene. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty good time. And um, as a friend of mine was noting, it's, I think, an odds-on pick for Netflix. Because it is directed by... I believe Lee Jong Jae, who is the star of their television show, internet television show, Squid Game. Right. Um, so that's one to look out for. Uh, my pick would probably be uh, Alice Winokur's new film. Um, it's called Paris Memories. I have a feeling that in French it's not called that because it's called Paris Revoir, which which I don't think would be the translation, maybe. Yeah, I think I think possibly maybe uh, maybe listeners you can you can uh, you can translate that for us. Paris, I'm sure it's much easier to translate than I'm making mm. it. But um, terrible title, uh, good film. So when uh, Alice did the introduction, she was saying that her her brother was um, caught up in the Bataclan attacks in Paris in in 2015, and uh, he survived fortunately. And uh, this film was based on the conversations that they had during his recovery uh, about his experience. And so she has made a fictionalized version by, um, sorry, starring Virginia Efri, uh, Efria, Virginia Efria, Virginia Efria, um, as this woman who is involved in a sort of, um, 
I, I don't want to say unexplained, but it's kind of never, the, the terrorist attack is never kind of really um, addressed as to kind of what it is. But uh, yeah, it's just about this woman kind of, kind of coming to terms with that and uh, trying to recover and process her experience and kind of move on from it. And I was very, uh, very surprised at how touching I found it. And I think uh, Virginie's been doing some good work recently and she's, I think she's got more than one film here. But yeah, good, good movie. Um, hope people get a chance to watch it. Uh, Virginie gave a phenomenal performance during the opening ceremonies of this very festival. <laughs> she she showed a little leg. She did a musical number. She worked the crowd. It she was, can do it all. Uh, she's, she's a renaissance <laughs> woman. I want to quickly mention uh, one thing that I've really loved, uh, which was a, a bit of an unknown quantity in the competition. It's a film called Layla's Brothers by Saeed Rustai. Um, who is an Iranian filmmaker of a uh, similar vintage to um, um, Asghar Fahadi, known for Separation and uh, The Salesman, etc., etc. It's this incredible, intricate family fresco, uh, a bit like Elvis, it's two hours and 40 minutes, but this one <laughs> keeps you absolutely hanging by your nails for, for every single one of them until it comes to this jaw-dropping jaw-droppingly moving finale um it's broadly speaking about uh, a family a, po- a poverty-stricken family in disintegration and the clash between tradition and the modern and and uh it's just the the script is a piece of art in and of itself and i hope that it finds a home even even big, due to its like extended length that it can be this year's uh, drive my car so that's my hope Okay, we're going to sign off now. So thanks very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we'll be back from Cannes and we'll be uh, moving back to our regular rotation of UK releases. Truth and Movies is hosted this week by me, David Jenkins, and my guests were Charles Bromesco and Hannah Stroll. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cummings. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.